0: Thank you so much for joining us
1: on this special edition of The Good Fight Radio Show. On today's episode, we are going to be talking with none other than the founder of Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham. Welcome to The Good Fight Radio Show.
2: Hey, thanks, Chad. Great to be with you.
1: Well, I am excited to talk about a lot of subjects. I know you got a new book out. We're going to talk about that. But the first thing is first— I really want to talk about the Creation Museum as well as the Ark Encounter. You guys have, I mean, this is out in Kentucky. You guys are doing some awesome work out there, showing people a biblical basis for understanding creation, and I'd love to just kind of get an idea about what would I encounter at not only the Creation Museum, but actually at the Ark Encounter as well.
2: Well, Chad, the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum actually have become the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world. And people often ask, why do we have them in Kentucky? Why building Kentucky? Well, we're within a one day drive of two thirds of America's population. So it's a tremendous place to be, uh, demographically speaking, when you look at the population. And people come from all across the United States. In fact, 92% of those who visit over 92% are outside the state of Kentucky. So people come from all over the US. And of course, when the borders are open, they come from all over uh, the world as well. And when you come to the Creation Museum, the Creation Museum was the first attraction. And actually, it's my favorite, even though the ark is a life-size Noah's Ark, built of timber, a true timber frame structure, biggest timber frame structure in the world. And it is stunning. It's iconic. But the Creation Museum is sort of my favorite place because it was our first attraction, and it's got a much more in-depth message of the Bible. But it's like walking through the whole Bible. Now, we have a planetarium with a laser projection system and a 4D theater, where you put on infrared glasses, and it's better 3D than you'll see uh, in the movies. And then we have all these exhibits, and we have a lot of exhibits teaching you about the Bible, for instance, and the history of the Bible and where it came from and why the particular books in the Bible and really gets you ready for our walk through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. When we walk you all the way through the Bible, it's great for kids, for mums and dads, for everybody, and then we have an insectarium and we have a two-story dinosaur exhibit we just opened an exhibit on israel and we also have a pro-life exhibit fearfully wonderfully made that is i think the most powerful in the world and we're going to triple that in size next year the gardens are absolutely beautiful and in fact, even while I'm speaking, you'll probably see some people occasionally walking past they were here at the Creation Museum, because that's where I'm actually doing this interview from uh, right now. And you're looking out over just part of the gardens. We have rainforest area and we have a petting zoo and zip lines. It's an incredible place. Then when you go to the Ark, which is 45 minutes from here, the Ark, we have a 2,500 seat uh, auditorium conference center and workshop rooms and a science lab. And we have a virtual reality experience. You have a virtual reality ride. We have zip lines there too. But of course, the feature uh, is the arc itself, which is one half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field, stands seven stories high in the midsection, 10 stories at the bow made of 3.3 million board feet of timber and over 120 stunning exhibits inside that answer all sorts of questions in regard to the pre-flood world and how Noel could get the animals on the ark and how they could look after them and we present the gospel there clearly too as we do uh at the creation museum we have a couple of theaters and one of those theaters we have a video of ray comfort preaching uh and so the the ark is just a, a stunning place and then behind the ark we also have a zoo and you can walk through with kangaroos and we have lemurs and binturong and porcupines and llamas and alpacas and camels and zebra and uh, we have uh, crested cranes and aodads and all sorts of creatures there and we teach about animal kinds so these two attractions are absolutely phenomenal at the ark we also have one of the biggest restaurants in america it'll seat 2300 people actually as a restaurant and so we have beautiful gardens there too so there we have it the two leading christian themes attractions in the world that have made northern kentucky the biggest faith-based tourist destination in america
1: wow that is absolutely incredible and i and I have to ask, I totally understand immediately, you know, why you want to have a creation museum. That is so amazing. And I think one of the best videos online might be you walking Bill Nye through it and going through. I think that is such a wonderful video. But I, I got to ask you, what was, what what put it, you gave you the impetus, I guess, to be like, you know what, I want to make an ark. I want to go to the biblical standard, look at it, read it and say, I, I want to make this thing and bring it out and put it on dry land and. In Kentucky.
2: Well, you know, the the Creation Museum was our first burden, my first burden, because at school when I was a teacher, and I became a science teacher in 1975 in Australia, uh, I saw that the students thought you couldn't believe the Bible because of what they're taught in their books about evolution. And I would take them to museums but they're always from an evolutionist secular perspective and I saw the difference in them when I answered their questions and showed them that real science actually confirmed the bible's history so I always had this burden to build a creation museum well at the same time one of the first questions I was asked in 1975 was how could I believe in Noah's ark because the students said Noah couldn't fit the animals on board And, you know, that's one of the questions that I've been asked many, many times around the world. And the atheists, of course, throw that up at Christians a lot. And you'll see it on their websites as well. Oh, Noah's Ark couldn't be true. He couldn't fit all the animals on board that he needed. Bill Nye threw that up to me when I debated him in 2014 at the Creation Museum. He said, oh, Noah couldn't fit all the millions of species on board. Well, it wasn't species, it's kinds, and kinds are different to species. Kinds are more at the family level classification. And it wasn't all the animals, it was only the land animal kinds. But over the years, I've seen how important it is to answer those questions. And Noah's Ark and Noah's Flood were very, very important events in history because the flood is responsible for most of your fossils. And yet, Generations of people told the fossils are the result of millions of years of evolutionary processes. So it's important for people to understand, no, most of the fossil record is the graveyard of the flood. And also Noah's Ark is a picture of Jesus. As Noah and his family went through one door to be saved, we need to go through one door, and that door is the Lord Jesus. And so over the years, you know, at camps where we would have special teaching camps, we would use helium balloons to try to show the size of Noah's Ark and you know, while we were building the Creation Museum, we said, you know, what are we going to do next? And we recognize that Noah's Ark is well known around the world. There are flood legends and cultures all over the world that have elements very similar to the Bible, uh, showing that they're actually changed versions of the original that's in the Bible. People have seen little, you know, bathtub arcs, even though they're not like what the real Ark would have been, would have looked like. But people are familiar with that. And we thought, you know, if we build a Noah's Ark, the size of the Ark, to show people how big it was, to answer that question, how we could get them on board and answer other questions as well about looking after them and so on. We could use it as a tremendous witnessing tool. And it's really worked well because 30% of those who come are non-Christians because non-Christians all over the world have heard about Noah's Ark and they're fascinated by this massive timber structure. So it sort of came out of that as we were discussing all that about why not build uh, an ark and so now those two go hand in hand they're 45 minutes apart the two uh, christian themed attractions the creation museum and the ark encounter
1: well one of the things i've loved about answers in genesis is the fact that you guys always bring it back to the gospel it's great to have all these you know scientific reasons and so forth to trust the bible but you do always bring it back to the gospel and that is a blessing and you talked about uh, maybe some coming attractions as well i read online that you guys are working on a, another exhibit am i am i right on that that you guys are continuing not just stopping at the ark
2: oh no we're not just stopping in fact we're always looking at what can we what can we be looking at next you know we don't like vision and what we're doing actually if you think about it, with the creation museum and with the ark encounter we're really helping people Uh, to understand the history in God's word and the gospel that's based in that history and bringing the Bible to life, if you like, uh, making it come alive in unique ways. And, you know, at the Creation Museum, we sort of walk you through the Bible uh, and, we, and we have, you know, exhibits on dinosaurs and so on. At the Arking County, you, you, you experience the ark and the size of the ark. Well, as you go through Genesis, you know, Genesis 1 to 11 is actually the foundational history for the rest of the Bible. It's the foundation for all doctrine, the foundation for our Christian worldview. And unfortunately, a lot of our churches have given up Genesis 1 to 11 and say it doesn't matter. But it's a foundation for everything. And so as you go through that foundational history with creation, and then the entrance of sin and death, and then the flood of Noah's day. And then you get to chapters 10 and 11. uh, That's the Tower of Babel. And this was another important event in history where God gave different languages, and that caused the the human population to split up and over time form different people groups, ethnic groups, cultures, but we're all one race. We all go back to Adam and Eve. We're all sinners. We all are in need of salvation, all in need of the gospel. And so... What we wanted to do next was to build a Tower of Babel, uh, again, to help people understand that event in history that's key to understanding why we have different people groups all over the world today and to deal with issues like racism and prejudice that we hear about almost every day on a daily basis. And, of course, the answer to racism and prejudice is the same answer to gay marriage or abortion or any other issue, and that is to point people to God's word and the true history there and the fact that we're all descendants of Adam, we're all sinners, we all need salvation. And so the answer is always the same. It's God's word in the gospel, but we're portraying that history in a way in which people come along and see it and experience it and it sort of brings it alive, brings it to their attention. And I'll tell you what, Chad, we've seen many, many people uh, become Christians as a result of coming to the Creation Museum in the Ark. We've had testimonies from hundreds and hundreds of people who've become Christians as a result of experiencing that history in a special way. And of course, we answer questions, we teach apologetics, and we point them to the Word of God and the Gospel.
1: No, I think that is absolutely beautiful, and actually here at our home church, which is Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, we actually use Answers in Genesis' curriculum for our Sunday school, and I think it is so important to to make sure that our children are getting a biblical basis. And uh, you guys put apologetics in there from a very young age. My young boys absolutely love it. So do my daughters. Well, one of them is only one. I hope she likes it. But uh, but nonetheless, it, it is so awesome. And and I think all of it goes back to this idea of you taking Genesis literally. And I do believe uh, your latest book that you've written, "Divided Nation." actually stems everything else. A lot of the problems that we're having as a divided nation goes back to a misunderstanding of those 11 chapters in Genesis.
2: Well, you know, Chad, by the way, that's what the book looks like, Divided Nation, Cultures in Chaos, and a Conflicted Church. And uh, this particular book, and, you know, all the illustrations that I use in a talk uh, like this are given in the book and they're in color, and I have a link at the front where people can download them actually in Keynote or PowerPoint or PDF and teach the message themselves because we want this message taught in churches all across America. You know, when we look at what's happening, we are losing the coming generations from the church. I mean, if you look at uh, Generation Z and the millennials, we're down to about 11% church attendance. Now, I'm in the baby boomers generation. About 32% of that generation in America uh, go to church. If you go back to... The greatest generation, those born before 1928, and there's very few of them left now, but 56% of them went to church. I think if you go way back in history in America, probably 70% of the population attended church. So when you look at what's happening today, there's an incredible generational loss from the church. I mean, we have lost most of the younger generations from the church. So the church has to stand back and say, well, what has happened? What, what have we failed to do? And I, to put it in a nutshell, One of the major things that's happened is that a lot of our church leadership, not all, of course, uh, but a lot of the Christian leadership and our Christian colleges, Bible colleges, seminaries and churches actually adopted evolutionary ideas and said, you can believe what you're taught at public school and 90 95% of kids from church homes go to the secular schools that have become increasingly antagonistic to Christianity. Evolution is presented as fact. Most of our church leaders, the majority, as I said, not all, there's there's a large minority out there too that stand with us, but they are a minority. But the majority have accepted evolutionary ideas into Genesis, basically throwing Genesis out, reinterpret it, doesn't matter, uh, as long as you trust in Jesus, Johnny. But here's the problem. Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for all doctrine. I mean, if, if you don't believe in Genesis 1 to 11, then marriage, well, that's whatever you want to make it to be. But God created marriage in Genesis when he made it male and female, Genesis 127, and he made man uh, from dust and woman from his side, and you become one because you're one flesh. Genesis 224 is where God created marriage. And so it's the foundation in Genesis that's the foundation for marriage, one man and one woman. In fact, in the New Testament, when Jesus, who's the son of God, is perfect, sinless, when, and Jesus, as the God man was asked about marriage, he said, haven't you read? He who made the beginning, made the male and female. And by the way, that's the basis for two genders, male and female, because God made two genders. There aren't any other options. And then said, for this cause shall a man live his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they'll be one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. So there's Jesus quoting from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that the history is true. And that's the foundation for marriage. And it's not just marriage. It's the foundation for everything and all of our doctrines ultimately are founded in Genesis 1 to 11. Where does sin come from? Genesis 1 to 11. Death? Genesis 1 to 11. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is he called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we need a seven day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we wear clothes? Genesis 1 to 7. God gave clothes because of sin. And so Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for all doctrine and Many of our churches have failed to raise up generations with the right foundation to know what they believe, know why they believe what they do. And and another major aspect is what we've been talking about, talking about the creation museum is there's been a failure in many instances to teach apologetics, which means to give a logical reason, defense of the faith. First Peter 315, always be prepared to give an answer or a defense. And the word answer or defense comes from the Greek word apologia, from which we get our word apologetics. And so, For many of our generations, they've been taught all this false information at school, through the media, and they come to churches and many instances they've even asked, what about evolution, millions of years, dinosaurs? There have been many times Sunday school teachers and others have said, oh, don't worry about that, don't ask questions, just trust in Jesus. Others have said, oh, you can believe evolution, millions of years, doesn't matter. But they start to recognize then if Genesis is not true, how can the rest be true? And so they walk away from the church, they build a secular worldview, We're seeing the secularization of our culture. And I believe it's been a, a failure of families and churches to raise up generations with the foundation of God's Word as the absolute authority and with the foundation of that history in Genesis 1 to11 and to be equipped with answers to defend the Christian faith against the secular attacks of our day. That's, in a nutshell, is why I wrote this book, to challenge people. Here's what we failed to do in many instances. Here's what's happened. Now here's what we need to do.
1: No, Amen. And I, I just love the entire premise for the book. And one of the things that you bring out in the book is the fact that there there's no neutral position. So when you say that and what you mean by that in Divided Nation, what are you trying to convey to someone if you're like, hey, there's no neutral position in this?
2: Well, a couple of things, really. Uh First of all, one of them is that, look, because Christians have, have this false idea in many instances, because we haven't been really taught by most of our churches correctly, we've got this false idea that secular is neutral. So we think secular schools are neutral. I mean, th- that's why If you think about what's happened in America, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, which really is nothing more than a group of atheists who come and bully people. And so these atheists will come and say, oh, you can't have the Bible in public schools. You can't have prayer. You can't have creation because that's the Christian religion. Uh, We we got separation of church and state. Therefore, it needs to be neutral. They will say the same about public places. You can't have crosses or nativity scenes. And in many instances, Christians have given in and said, oh, okay, I guess, you know, we shouldn't be imposing Christianity. And we stand back and then let them remove these, these particular symbols and remove the Bible and so on. And what have we actually done? We've allowed them to impose their religion of atheism. See, that's just it. What does the Bible teach? The Bible doesn't teach neutrality. If you're not for Christ, you are against If you don't walk in light, you walk in darkness. If you don't gather, you scatter. If you don't build your house on the rock, you build your house on the sand. There's only two ways, the narrow way and the broad way. Uh, You see, what we need to understand is that there's no neutral position. So when a group of atheists come in and say you can't have the Bible in, in schools, what are they saying? Well, you can't allow Christianity to be there in any form. We've got to get rid of that so they can impose their atheism. And if you think about it, public schools right now uh, teach evolution as fact, as as a natural process, supposedly. Naturalism is atheism. And so we've got to really come to grips with this fact. If if secular schools aren't for Christ, then there's only one other option. They are against. And if we started waking up to that, as christians it was going to really change the way we work with these things and the way we react to what's going on it's the same when you're witnessing to a non-christian you know atheists will say oh well, you christians are biased you go to church you worship god you have a religion we don't we don't have a religion well yes they do they have a religion uh, they believe that all life came about by natural processes they believe there's no god uh, they believe that we evolved from ape like creatures. That's their religion. And remember, the Bible tells us clearly all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, like Romans 3, Jeremiah 17 9. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So remember, when you're talking to an atheist, you're talking to someone whose heart is against God, they're already biased against God. You know, it also affects the way we fight the abortion issue or the gay marriage issue. Many Christians have this idea, this false idea that, oh, if we're going to go and deal with abortion or gay marriage, we can't talk about the Bible because then they'd see we're religious. We're going to do it on a basis of neutrality. But there's no neutral position. And ultimately, if you don't stand on God's word, there is only one other foundation, man's word. If you're not standing on God's word, you've already lost the battle. And we've also got to remember faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as Christians, we should never be ashamed of the word of God or that our starting point is God's word. And you point people to the word of God because it's only the word of God that saves.
1: Amen. Amen. And you know, one of the things I, I really enjoy also when it comes to Divided Nation here is you give a theodicy, a defense for the problem of evil. And I, I think you, you mentioned this, and we've already talked about it a little bit, but just the fact of taking Genesis literally, I do believe that is the only proper means by which to have an answer for the problem of evil. Have, have you encountered the same thing?
2: oh absolutely and you know it's always amazing to me the number of uh, non christians you know or atheists who argue with us and and say say things like you know oh um if there's a god and and he judged at the flood, like you said, then then he's immoral because he killed all those people. And so, wait a minute, you're an atheist. And H- what basis can you decide that someone is moral or immoral? And what basis can you decide right or wrong? And so really the problem of evil is, is a problem for the non-Christian. Uh, because they have no basis for deciding what's evil or what's not evil when you when you start to think about all that. I mean, how do they determine that? As I said to Bill Nye uh, when, when I was taking him through the Ark Encounter and sort of debating him in an informal debate, I said, how do you decide what's right and what's wrong? He said, by a consensus of the tribe. And I said, so it's subjective. And he said, yes. So I said, well, that means that one tribe could decide that types like you should be eliminated. Uh, can they do that? No. Then he said, well, it sort of depends. And, and so they can't be consistent. They have no basis uh, for absolutes. You know, the Bible makes it very clear that God is the absolute authority. He determines what's right and what's wrong. He determines what's good and what's evil. Even in the New Testament, when the man came to Jesus and said, good master, Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that is God. And God explains to us in his word that he created everything very good, but then he gave us in Adam a choice. Uh, He wanted us to obey him because we wanted to obey him. He didn't force his love upon us. He wanted us to love him because we wanted to, because he created us. But then we rebelled in Adam and death was a consequence. We forfeited the right to live. And that's why our bodies die. And so we start to understand why the world has life and death, why there's joy and sorrow, uh, why we see good and evil, because it was once all good. But now, as Romans says in Romans 8, it's a groaning world because of our sin. And unless you start with Genesis, you will not understand that. And, you know, the atheists throw this up all the time at generations in our churches. Oh, how can you believe in a loving God? Look at all the death and suffering in the world. If we haven't taught them, the origin of death and why this world is the way it is beginning in genesis then they can easily be led astray by these anti-god people who are telling them there can't be a loving god look at all the death and suffering in the world <laughs> for a start how can they determine uh, what love is and who determines what love is if they don't have a basis and absolute authority you know it's interesting how the secularists have to borrow from the christian worldview all the time But, Chad, let me say this. I think we've done a great disservice to many of our children in our churches um, because for a lot of our Sunday school material, not the ones we produce and you said are using in your church, our Answers Bible curriculum is very different. It's apologetics, biblical authority, chronological doctrine, worldview, meaty. But, you know, there's a lot of shallow material out there and, and Christian children's books, and they'll say things like this. Children, can't you see there's a God? Look at this beautiful world he made. But if you look at this world, it's not beautiful. This world is ugly. There's a remnant of beauty, but there's a lot of ugliness because of sin. And if we haven't taught them correctly, starting with Genesis, that it was once all beautiful, but it's not now, it's groaning because of sin, then they're not going to understand this world we live in where we see good and evil. And and the reason we even even have a sense of good and evil, even as non-Christians, is because Romans 2 tells us, God, uh, has written the law in our hearts so we have a conscience, so we know what's right and what's wrong. That's why, you know, atheists will talk about good and evil, and they inherently know what is good and evil because God put that there in their hearts. But you can't deal with all this or understand it unless we believe and understand the history in Genesis 1 to 11. And if the church is thrown that out, which many churches have, no wonder we have people who can't deal with the issue of death and suffering. And, and it's interesting, in a COVID world right now, and I'm, I'm not going to get into political you know, battles about all that, but nonetheless, a lot of people have tried to create a fear of death. And it's interesting how people have this great fear of death, but it's Christians who don't have a fear or should not have a fear of death because we know... Uh, That once you die as a Christian, you're going to be with the Lord for eternity. I understand why non Christians would have a fear of death because they're going to be separated from God forever. Uh, That's what the Bible tells us. That's why we want to get out and share God's word and the gospel with people.
1: No, I love it. And I could not end on a better note than that because that is just the truth right there. And I want to encourage you guys, uh, you know, go, if you get a chance, go to the Ark Museum. I know I've been a youth pastor for a number of years. We want to take our entire youth group out there as well. Go to the Ark, the Ark Encounter. Go to the Creation Museum. Also check out Divided Nation. The, everything we've talked about here, I know we can only get so deep into it. I know you go really deep on it in the books. So I wanted to thank you so much, Ken, for everything you're doing for the body of Christ.
2: Hey, thank you. Pleasure talking with you.
1: God bless you guys. And I want to thank you guys all for joining us. Once again, we'll put links in the description for everything Ken and I talked about today. And guys, go out and serve your King. God bless.
0: You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202. Simi Valley California 93062 or call us toll free at one eight six six J C Truth. that's one 528 7884 we hope you'll tune in next time on the good fight radio show